You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays live from Brandman University. This show is live in front of an audience of CEOs and executives from the Southern California business community with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass, Final Fridays live from Brandman University. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This radio show is being broadcast in front of a live audience. Uh, from the Irvine campus of Brandman University, we host this show on the final Friday of each month. Our studio shows are live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live here on community radio station octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we do encourage you to consider listening live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our advertisers. Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and our newest sponsor, Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. It gives me great pleasure to welcome quite an outstanding panel, and I just wanted to start down at the far end. Our first panelist is Mick Euclea. He is founder and president of Leadership Track. Seated next to him is Herb Callahan. Herb is the Corporate Director of Golden State Foods. Welcome. Dr. Kathleen Bates. She is a professor here at Brandman University. And finally, but by no means finally, is our token millennial for the panel today, Ryan Hines, who is Public Relations Coordinator at Chapman University. Let's give it up for our panel this morning. So this is an interactive show. We're going to take a couple breaks like we do for the radio show because this is just a live version of what we do every week. And our first break will be in about 20 minutes. And Paul Roberts is our engineer and producer here for the show today. Thank you, Paul, for being here. Let's start very simply by asking each of the panelists to just help our audience, both those here in the classroom and also those uh, listening to us live, uh, a little bit about your background. So, Mick, how about if we start with you? Can you give us a sense for your background? Sure. I got into uh, really interested in leadership numbers of years ago, and I saw it was a great way to change people's lives as well as change organizations that were doing really good things and to help them do those things even better. One of my goals is to help organizations become worthy of human habitat, to help them be better at what they do to become better versions of themselves. They're doing a lot of right things, but oftentimes there's just a little bit of a disconnect and as we go in and, and get feedback and help one another, we can become a much healthier organization just through a few disciplines as we practice those. I write books. I ask children when I see them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the reason I do that is because I'm still looking for ideas. Uh, so that's uh, one of the things I do. I, I love working with people. I, I love seeing people really be a better version of who they already are. They're already good the way they are, but how do you keep growing and be a better version of who you are? Lifelong learning and lifelong service, I think, are two of the keys for that. And so that, I'm committed to that. I'm uh, Herb Callahan. I'm the, uh, the Corporate Director of Leadership Development for Golden State Foods. Uh, Golden State Foods is a $6.5 billion international food manufacturer and distributor. You may have seen our trucks uh, driving around with the McDonald's logos and, and all that. Uh, McDonald's is one of our largest customers. Uh, probably about 67% of our, our, our business. 
what I do at uh, Golden State Foods is we have an internal learning management system, a uh, university called Golden State Foods University. Uh, I, it's now a dedicated position. We've had it for about three years, and we'll probably talk later about where that came from. But I, I, I run that university. Uh, I've been with the company for about two years, uh, just started in this position. Uh, prior to this position, I was a regional HR manager for our southwest area. Prior to becoming HR in the civilian world, I was uh, HR in the military world. I've got about 21 years in the, uh, in the Marine Corps. Uh, I started my HR training and my love for leadership and development as a, a drill instructor at Paris Island. I, I want to leave a mark on the Marine Corps, and I went down there and, and uh, had a great time. Uh, maybe not so great for the uh, recruits, but great for me. But, but where, the, where I made the connection, right, because you can't be a drill instructor and be, you know, effective in the civilian world. Uh, where I really got into leadership and development is the Marine Corps did a smart thing, and, and they, they, they held us responsible for attrition. So I can't just yell and scream anymore and, and say, here's what you need to do. I have to make sure they get it. Uh, so, you know, so you practice mastery. I need to make sure that 80% of this crowd, you know, maintains 80% of what I'm trying to teach them. Uh, and, and when you do that, you make a better Marine. Uh, in the civilian world, you make a better associate, a better employee. Uh, so if I can get them to understand what we're working on and what we, uh, what we need to have uh, happen, uh, it makes for a better associate, makes for a better company. Uh, and that's where I got my, my love for it. So I started as a drill instructor, uh, and here I am, you know, 15, 20 years later as the uh, director of the uh, university at the, uh, at Golden State Foods. I'm uh, Dr. Kath Bates. I work at uh, Graman University as assistant professor. I've been with the Chapman University Institution, the complex of institutions, since 1989, teaching as an adjunct in human resources and organizational leadership. So I have a pretty broad length of time, span of time of watching individuals at the undergrad and grad level move through higher education and into the workforce. As an HR specialist, and I've had HR uh, practical experience at AT AT&T and some telecom companies, smaller organizations in San Diego, what, what my primary point of interest is in helping our students match themselves to the needs of the workforce. And it's really, really difficult for HR, particularly HR folks, to plan and uh, manage and develop around the multiple generations in the workforce. So there, I, my belief is that there are three major factors influencing this that HR uh, professionals need to consider for the current and the future workforce, and that is that those are the three forces of uh, education, demographics, and values. And we need to look at a very broad picture of what the workforce looks like now with the uh, older millennials, if you will, uh, versus the newer millennials uh, coming in. My son is 18, 19 years old, will be 20 this year, so he's a very young millennial. And um, I see a very different sort of person at the young end than there is at the higher end. And I'm also interested in learning from those who have more theoretic knowledge about the millennials as well. And I hope to add some value talking about the workforce issues. Hi, well, I think I fall probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm 24 years old. I'm from Florida. I studied public relations at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And going to college, I immediately jumped into leadership roles. So that was starting with my first summer orientation team leader, and that's what first sparked an interest in college student affairs and going that route. In my sophomore year, I became the president of the university surf club. 
So beyond just surfing, we actually did uh, a lot more than that. We also participated in charitable projects and volunteered. And then I started connecting surfing with public relations and how I could combine that for a career in action sports and public relations. So what I did from there, um, I looked for an internship at Quicksilver out here in Huntington Beach, their North America headquarters, found their general HR email, and I just sent them an email and I said, hey, do you have internships? I'm a PR student at University of South Florida. She wrote back and said, yeah, sure, send us your stuff. And so at that point I had to, you know, well, what do I even send them? So I, I sent in a resume, cover letter, and a couple letters of recommendation. So I went, actually went two months before I heard anything back. And then I got a call and talked on the phone for a couple days. And then I said, okay, do you, like, do you want me to do this? Like, you're ready? And he said, yeah, we want you to come out. I talked to my mom and booked my one-way flight to LAX. And that was my first time out in Southern California. And being out here, um, it, that was an incredible summer. Felt like home. I knew this is where I wanted to be. I went back to Tampa, though, to finish school because the state had a program that actually paid 100% of my tuition. So I felt like it was probably smart to take advantage of that. And then I would just move out once I graduated. Also, by the time I was a senior at USF, I became the president of the Public Relations Student Society of America, so the chapter at our university. And then also, I actually ran for homecoming king, so that was kind of my big, <laughs> let me go out with a bang in, in Tampa before I moved to California. So that summer after graduating, I did fly out here for a few interviews, but I wasn't, um, you know, I was out here for probably a week and then went back to Orlando and I was sitting on my couch and just realized, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to get hired in California if I'm just sitting here in Orlando. So I went to the bathroom, wrote 35 days on the mirror in my bathroom, and I told myself I'm giving myself 35 days to move to California. So I just started claiming that. Uh, my dad came home, actually, and he's like, 35 days? Like, what's that all about? And I said, yeah, that's when I'm going to move to California. And um, so I just kind of started every day. That was a visual reminder to myself to do a little something every day. And I have to say, it's definitely been an adventure moving to California. Um, I came here both uh, looking for myself, you know, prof professionally and personally. Um, I did a lot of things like volunteering at the Sunset Strip Music Festival. I was actually in a hair fashion show in Santa Ana. Um, and then I also joined the Orange County chapter of the Public Relations Society of America. So that was my first start uh, networking and kind of building that professional experience in Orange County. And then tying that back into my background surfing and uh, public relations, I started working at Quicksilver. Um, I also picked up a job as a banquet server at the Huntington Beach Hyatt, which I still on call banquet server there. And then I joined, <laughs> and then I joined Chapman last April. So um, with Chapman, I work in the university's communications and media relations department, pro promoting to the local media, coordinating our weekly Tuesday insert. I'm not sure who, if anyone receives the Orange County Register every Tuesday, we have a, a weekly insert. Um, so I help coordinate that. And I also assist press at events, book the summer concert series bands, um, and a number of other things within our communications department. And a quick thing about Chapman, um, I have to say it's just a very nimble university. I feel like I really fit right in with that entrepreneurial spirit. And that's what I've loved about Chapman. And 
especially the focus on um, a very distinctly personal education, whether it's the film or performing arts or new health science programs. You're listening to Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. This is Critical Mass Radio Show, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. We have about five minutes until our first commercial break, and I thought I'd come back to you, Mick, and ask, could you, to set the context, would you give us the definition of a millennial? Can you do that for us? We could take a picture of Ryan, and that's what he looks like. Uh, definition of millennial, uh, and, and by the way, when we talk about demographics, we're talking in generalities. Uh, not everybody fits perfectly in this category, but it's a general truth. As if I said to you, seatbelt saves lives. That's a general truth because I can show you some statistics where it actually caused a death. But generally speaking, seatbelts save lives, and so it's good to wear seatbelts, even though you can point out some exceptions to that rule. And with demographics, it's the same thing. Uh, so they're about 1981 to 2001, they're probably age 13 to 33, right in that category. Some people can be a little older and feel like a millennial because they think that way. It's really the values you have, the intrinsic values that drive the behaviors that we observe, and we don't always see the intrinsic values that do that. So millennial would be right in that age category, right after the Gen Xers, uh, the traditionalists, of which my mother is one and still going strong, still does income tax for people. She's 88. She's uh, wonders why everybody doesn't do what she does. Uh, that's because that's the way she was raised. Uh, boomers, uh, 1964 to uh, 40, 46 to 64. Gen Xers, 65 to like 80, right in there. 81 to 80 to 2001 would be the uh, millennial. So that's the age bracket we're talking about. Young teens to early 30s. There's a group coming after them, and nobody knows what to call them yet because usually you don't form a generational name or a, or a category until the first ones hit about age 30. And then it begins to settle in and what they are. So there's different things. Some people are calling them homelanders for obvious reasons because that's when we started Homeland Security. We came up with the term the O generation because they came along with Obama and he did the third way thing and he really blew the world away with his text messaging and Hillary didn't know what hit her. She had no clue. He did something unprecedented. It was so contrary to political format and rules, but who cares? Things are changing. And so he had 68% of the youth vote before she even knew what happened. So that's the age bracket, anyhow, that we're talking about. That's a millennial. Thank you, Mick. All right, you're listening to Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. We're going to take our first commercial break, and when we come back, I'm going to come back to you, Mick, because I'd like you to talk a bit about the trends in how millennials are entering the workforce. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after these words from our commercial sponsors. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. 
in short. We're bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insights to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Live from Brandman University. We're having a good time here. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you're listening to this as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. I'd also like to thank and acknowledge the loyal listeners who download our show as a podcast. Last month, you downloaded over 12,000 copies of our show, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. Of course, all of our shows can be heard live, as this one is today, streaming from octalkradio.net, Stitcher, .com, iTunes, and other business-oriented podcasting sites. All right, let's get back to the panel discussion that we have today. I, I asked Mick Euclea before the break, I said I'd ask you to share with us a little bit about how the trends and how millennials are entering the workforce. Can you give us a sense for how they're getting into the workforce to begin with, Mick? Yeah, it's amazing that today, of all the managers in the United States, 15% of managers are millennials, and that's going to keep growing. Less than 50% of organizations have a flexible work schedule, which is something that needs to take place in the road work down the road if it's appropriate for that particular vocation. But when you consider this group of young people that are going in, think of there's a lot of firsts for this group. It's the first generation that's never had to have an authority figure to access information. That changes the way you manage them. That changes the way you teach them. It's not uh, 
you know, uh, Mr. Crawford's store on Mayberry anymore where Opie's depended on everything that Mr. Crawford has. He, he could look that up on the Internet now and tell Mr. Crawford a few things. It's also the first generation to really experience external stimuli 24-7. We grew up with a television. We saw that once in a while. They have something in their hand 24-7. They are socially connected 24-7. That's going to impact the way uh, people act at work. So there's a lot of first here. In fact, uh, they're going to learn more from their handheld device over the years than they will from seminars. Think about that. And so how do we conduct those kinds of things? So they're going into the workforce uh, with a little, some different attitudes. They want to be involved from day one. They want to, in, they want inclusion. Why? Because we raised them that way. We were raised, they were raised in praise-based and democratic-based homes where they got to be involved in all the decision-making up front. And we go into the workplace. We didn't mind raising them that way, but as we didn't want to manage them that way. But guess what? We raised 20-somethings to be themselves, and they're being themselves everywhere, including the workplace. So there's a lot of things that will be taking place down the road, and good things, by the way, very good things, even processes and things we do things. If, uh, if we understand that experience is a good thing, but it can also be a block to innovation if we don't see that innovation is also a good thing. So those are some of the things that... Thank you, Mick. Appreciate that. Uh, I thought I'd take it the other way and ask Ryan how he entered the workforce as a millennial. Uh, when I when I first started uh, graduating college, I think the first realization I had was that I was actually just one of thousands of other motivated, eager, smart, talented, qualified candidates. And... You know, nothing was going to be handed to me at that point. So when I real, realized what I wanted to go into the workforce after that, I really had to look at what goals I had, what I wanted to do, and then think about that and just make a decision. And from there, I think it was just making a decision and going for it. And I can always alter that route kind of along the way, but nothing ever happens from just sitting still. In my case, entering the workforce, I made the decision to move to California. I didn't necessarily have a job guaranteed when I moved out. I just knew it's where I needed to start. And so I just kind of took that uh, huge leap of faith, really, and knew that I could start with something as small as a job at a surf shop. And that was a place to get started to get me in the area where I knew there was opportunity. And I believe there's lots of opportunity for people my age. All right, I'd like to open up the uh, questions to the audience. Now, does anyone is anyone ready from our audience here at Bramman University to ask our panel a question? If you are, just raise your hand. I want you to, I'll hand you the microphone so you can hold on a second. Uh, we'll get you the microphone. And if you could say your name when you ask the question, I'd be much appreciated. My name is Rachel Winston from Bramman University. This question is for Herb Callahan. Um, what are you looking for when you are uh, choosing people for your company? You know, listening to uh, to Ryan talk workforce, one of the roles that, uh, that I, I work with is uh, I own all the recruiting also. Uh, so I have a millennial recruiter that works with me. Uh, so I leaned on her quite a bit. And I said, how do we find these folks? You know, at any given time, we have 30 openings across the uh, across the country. Um, we talked about the uh, something we, we haven't coined, but we call it hyperconnectivity. They're, they're connected all the time. Uh, so we use a lot of social networking, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, to, to reach out and find folks. But what we're, what we're looking for is we, we look for the same things that uh, whether they were, you know, 
traditionalists or baby boomers or, or, or uh, Gen Xers or millennials. We look for the same thing. We look for capacity. We look for folks that have the ability to grow and to do more. Uh, and you see a lot of that with the with the millennials. You can hear the confidence in Ryan's voice about, I knew I was going to do something. When we hire millennials, I mean, that's what you're getting when, you, when you're chatting with them. They want to hear, what are you going to do for me? Maybe not that, you know, forward speaking when they're being interviewed, but they want to know, what are my opportunities here? Because I know I can produce. I know I can give you something. What do you have for the taking? Uh, so when we look for folks, we look for folks with, with capacity in that drive to take on more. Thank you very much. Any other questions from the audience? We're looking for questions from the audience. Don't be shy. You see that. Okay. Would you come over here, Dean Worthington, and ask it into the microphone? Thank you, Rich. Uh, this sort of stems from the time I spent on your show uh, about a month ago. A uh, question for Herb, just to follow on. But we're starting a new competency-based education BBA program, and we talked at length uh, about that uh, about a month ago on this show. One of the reasons is that uh, we look at the research, and the research tells us better than 50% of the students graduating from college aren't prepared with the skill sets that employers want. And, of course, we have some ways to, to work that better in our new program, but uh, aside from what the research says, what do you find about the graduates and their skill sets? What are they good at, and what things are they lacking on? Well, you know, it's, it's it's funny. Most of the other recent millennials that we've uh, that we we've, we've we've hired are highly educated, and and so they they come in with a textbook knowledge, and, it, and it's the really getting out on the floor, talking with folks. It's it's really the leadership and development, which is why we now have this focused approach uh, on our own internal university, and really want to make it an institute for you know leadership and development. Uh, so so I think that's it. They've got great. They understand theory. They understand you know how A plus B equals C. Uh, but how to make it happen. So it, it's that real world, and it comes through internships and getting out there and doing things. So the textbook is great. That shows us that they've got that strong academic foundation and they've got the capacity to learn more. Uh, and and I, I think that's a that's an, you know a green space. You can have the capacity to learn more. Don't just bring your experience to the table and say, this is it, and I'm going to use this to do what, what I need to do. You've got to be able to learn more because our customers are changing, which means our business is changing. Uh, so I So I... The textbook knowledge is fantastic, uh, and we build on that, but it's really the, the face-to-face leadership and development uh, and building that credibility with a, with a tenured workforce. I see we have another question from the back of the room, so we'll get the microphone back to you, and if you could ask it, that'd be great. Hi, thank you. I'm Sheila Steinberg, Professor of Social Sciences here at Bremen University. My question here is for Dr. Bates. And Dr. Bates, I was just wondering, um, being that you've worked in HR and you ha- you're a parent of a millennial, uh, what advice would you give uh, a millennial who's going out into the workforce today? Because it sounds like, from what you're saying, we're dealing with kind of a group that has its own particular skill sets and culture. So I'm just wondering, from an HR perspective, how would you advise them? Well, it's part of a big systemic issue, as we were talking about before. And what, what the, at least the research tells us about the millennials in the workplace is that they are underprepared academically. And I'm not talking just higher ed. And perhaps an organization as popular or, or recognizable, certainly, and has the reputation that Golden State Foods has, may um, be able to attract and actually select a higher caliber 
of employee. But generally speaking, at least according to Pew Research data and other research um, that's been published, the millennials are have entered the workplace, including those 30-somethings that are managing in organizations today without adequate critical thinking skills, math skills, writing, and oral communication skills. And we hear this even from our own board of uh, advisors for the HR program here at Bramman University. In fact, one of the things that we're just really, really passionately pursuing right now is a, a re-engineering, if you will, or a, a reformation of the way we deliver HR um, education, both at the undergrad and the graduate, particularly the master's degree program. We just got recertified for alignment with SHRM, so it's not about the content. You know, this will be this. We get sequential. I mean, it's not easy to prove your alignment with their body of knowledge and competencies. So it's not about the content. It's about how they're learning. Someone said, I don't remember if it was Mick or Herb. I apologize, but someone was talking about learning through the, uh, you know, through the internet or through their their devices all the time. Well, one of the things that you can do, and one of the things we're doing here at Brandman, but it needs to be considered in a broader scope across education, is utilizing this fluency in technology. That's probably the biggest separator between generations, is that that millennial, in fact, the older millennials are not as tech fluent as the younger millennials, right? And that, it's like living in a foreign country for us boomers, some of us boomers, <laughs> right? There, I, I saw on I think it was a, a Pew Research link on the Internet this morning where you could actually go in and answer 10 questions and it would tell you how much of a, millenni- a millennial, I can't even say it, millennial you are. I'm 83% because I have one. Wow. Let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> I just, I, Dr. Bates, Dr. Bates, I'd like to follow up on that because you use different words, but I, I think I heard you say that their reading, writing, and arithmetic skills are lacking. Is is that is that your position? Yes, and in in preparing for this today, I have a friend who's an education attorney, and she's very not. She used to be on the California Curriculum Commission here in the state of California, and I highly recommend you revisit this session and have people like herself and Rachel on to talk about the need for businesses to put much more pressure on the education community, particularly K-12, so that we're not having to re-educate them in basics in higher education. It just is not the way to prepare a workforce, and that's what we're here to do, is to prepare your workforce. Hi, this is Terry Sawyer, and I own Tea and Company PR Marketing and Social Media as such, we do work with millennials, and I have a question for Ryan Hines. Uh, I also work uh, with PRSA, Public Relations Society of America's Young Professionals Mentoring Program, so I admit I do have a few insights into millennials. Um, Ryan, in entering the workforce over the last couple of years, what were some of the things that you felt you did not have from your wonderful college education, your PRSSA leadership, the things that were not spoken of that were maybe office politics, that, that type of thing. What, what kinds of things did you find in the workplace that you were not prepared for? Uh, yes, I, when I was in um, college, I'd say I, got, I did. I got a lot of that, that textbook side of the education, and internships were extremely important. Trying to get that real-world 
experience in addition to that, but starting in the, the professional workplace after college was definitely an eye-opening experience, nothing, you know, like I'd ever uh, had bef- up until that point. Um, talking about all these unspoken rules to learn, just office culture, understanding hierarchy, who to talk to, when to talk to, how to talk to them, when's an email appropriate, who can I text versus an email, or when's a phone call appropriate, and really learning all the ins and outs of just the office, and um, that definitely took some time. I would say I started out listening and just being very observant and doing the tasks that needed to be done in my position, but being very aware of what was going around and making sure I learned that as I grew into that role. Thank you. I'd like to uh, bring the question back to Mick. Mick uh, is co-author of the book Managing the Millennials. I'm holding a copy for those of you on the radio. You don't know that I'm holding it and showing it. But the theme for this radio show is successfully managing millennials. And I have a, I have a view, worldview that the, that the leadership has the responsibility for creating the environment that the employees can thrive in, right? It's a little bit unfair to expect the, them to to completely change the R standards. I think we have to be empathetic and help them. So I liked what you say here, discover the core competencies for managing today's workforce. Can you share a little bit about what you wrote in this book and what your research found? Yeah, we did a three-year research study because we kept we were going out working with organizations and we kept hearing this whole thing about who are these young people coming into the workplace now. This was several years ago. And uh, they were being vilified. Uh, the aliens have landed. I mean, these kinds of concepts. So it was all anecdotal stuff. So we did a three-year research project, interviewed thousands of managers across the country in every sector, aerospace, uh, box retail, development companies, resorts, you name it, we did it. And uh, we even did the uh, White House press and the whole, all of these people. Uh, and we came up with basically nine orientations of millennials, the nine intrinsic values that drive those behaviors, and the nine managerial competencies that you need to connect with this new generation. And, and basically, I'll just summarize some things for you. Uh, every generation has a set of values that drive their behavior. You go back to the boomer generation. Uh, well, go back to the, the builder generation before that. I mean, what, what that's, uh, the you know the the greatest generation, uh, what drove them? The depression and the you know World War II, and so the values of loyalty, camaraderie, stick to it, and this delayed gratification. You don't buy on credit. My grandmother, we couldn't put a hand on one of her doorknobs without rubber bands just all over that handle, and every she would wash the tinfoil because you don't throw anything away. You just save. Boomers come along. We had a little different war, didn't we? We fought the establishment. We fought our parents, the things they built. And we had the Vietnam War that wasn't real popular. And, of course, we were very optimistic. We went to the moon. and We're going to do that. Kennedy said, we're going to bring a man back alive from the moon in less than 10 years. And we did it. We didn't even have a rocket. So all of those things, the King and Kennedy assassinations and those things marked us, the social revolutions that were going on, those things marked us for life. In fact, we became workaholics, believe it or not. We loved titles. People were getting PhDs just so somebody could call them doctor. I wonder if that was one of my motivations, probably. I don't know. Uh, but we loved titles to do this type of thing. And, and so that was kind of where we were uh, in our thinking. And we're very materialistic. We added one month per year to the work week. So the next generation comes along, the Gen Xers. We call them slackers. Why? Because they started working as much as our parents did. 
But since they didn't work as much as we did, we called them slackers. We love to vilify the next generation. It's amazing how we do that. I was, the, We were the me generation. They were the slackers. Now, we, the millennials come along. They're the entitled ones. You know, we're all entitled, let's face it. Uh, but we love to vilify people rather than understand those intrinsic values that drive their behaviors. You get the boomer of uh, the uh, millennials. They had 9-11. That's a different kind of war. They had Columbine, which students assassinating students. That raised the King and Kennedy assassination to a whole new level. So we have all of these things. You have MTV for the Gen Xers and now uh, all the stuff going on. And, and, and so those drive your behaviors and the kinds of things that you do. For instance, uh, they love, we, we think sometimes they're rude uh, because they're abrupt. And or because they call us, they don't call, they call me Mick instead of Dr. Euclea. That's a sign for them, a sign of respect. Uh, just one quick antidote, and our the person who was the our provost to Cal State Long Beach, I happen to be on the board of governors there because you wouldn't let me into Brand, uh, to this school. So, uh, anyhow, I'm at the uh, I'm on the uh, board of governors there, and we've been involved over there. But I walked by the provost's office, and Karen Gold, who is now the president of Brooklyn College in New York, and she said, "Come in here." Did you write that book? Are you guys doing that research? Yeah, yeah. She said, well, she came by here, the student, and said, hi, Karen. I said, yeah, well, that's your name. She said, no, this is an academic institution. I'm Dr. Gould. And I said, look, rather than vilify them, explain to them what you're trying to do. Simply get out and explain that this is an academic institution, so we need some academic decorum on this campus. So when we're here, call me Dr. Gould. We see me at Starbucks, call me Karen. Talked to her a couple weeks later. I said, how'd that go? She said, phenomenal. I am convinced that the key is to for the generations to stop vilifying one another and to begin to understand the values that drive our behaviors. And it's going to be pretty remarkable when that happens, and it's happening. Thank you, Mick. Herb, I'd like to ask you from your experience at Golden State Foods uh, and your professional opinion, mm -hmm. what do millennials need at work in order to be dedicated employees and not job hop? Well, I'm not sure if it's something that they need. I think it's something that maybe the organization needs, right? The organization, as, as uh, uh, Dr. Clay was saying. You call me Mick. Mick? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, it's really the organization has to understand what their needs are. And so millennials need that. Uh, they need to understand, you know, where they're going. They have, they have some confidence, again, as we heard from Ryan. He knows what he wants to do. They bring that into the workforce, and we have to help them. We have to understand uh, what they're looking for and give them give them a path. So it's not really something they have to bring. The organization has to understand what their needs are, uh, and and you know that folks would say, well, that's they're they're needy. Well, they're not needy. They just want to do something. Here's where they want to go. They have the confidence that they can get there. Show them how to get there, because if you don't, they're going to go elsewhere and look for it. You're leading up the internal university within Golden State Correct. Foods. Uh, what technology are you using or how are you addressing the needs of your employees to be able to deliver information that they can consume in a way that they would like to consume that education? Well, we have a uh, kind of a mixed approach. We have some instructor-led training and we, we send somebody around the country and we, we kind of fly folks together and do some face-to-face. -face. But uh, primarily, the majority of the uh, the leadership and development curriculum that goes out goes out via uh, online. Uh, what we just added or we're working on adding is uh, adding it to mobile devices. I took my first course uh, just last week on an iPhone, uh, and then we checked it on the iPad. So we're about to roll that out and, and uh, talk to our provider about we need more courses that are that are mobile friendly. 
You're, uh, excuse me. You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. I want to give the audience an opportunity. Does anybody in the audience want to ask a question to the panel? Don't look around. Everybody's looking kind of. Yes, Gail Miller. I know who she is, so we're going to hand the microphone to Gail. Thank you, Rick. Uh, as Rick said, I'm Gail Miller. I'm a marketing evangelist. And <laughs> thank you again. Um, what I'd like to ask is a question for both Mick and Ryan. What's the biggest mistake boomers make when managing and mentoring millennials? The biggest mistake I think boomers make when managing and mentoring millennials is that they've never learned to reach down. In the constellation of mentoring, you have upward mentors, downward side mentors. Because when we were growing up, we always had to reach up to get information and to work. So we were never trained to reach down. Our millennial cohorts have never had to reach up because we always reach down. So I think millennials need to learn to reach up. Boomers need to learn to reach down. And if there's not a good relationship there, that's not going to happen. Because tacit, there's explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. The tacit knowledge is the stuff that Herb and his company have that's not written down. And that's the stuff that these people need to know. And that's not that happens through relationship. And I say that the most mature must take the first step. So that managers that want to really connect need to learn how to connect. And then we do our little bit with the millennials, too, and say, look, you know, you're going to come off as a little unentitled here, so you need to learn how to say thank you. I appreciate that. This is really neat. So we work with them, too. But, you know, the older group wants us to fix the younger group so they fit, not realizing that there has to be a flex on both sides. This group needs to learn how to reach down. This group needs to learn how to reach up. And, and again, I, I will say not to vilify one another, but to understand one another, because that re relationship is how tacit information is passed on. And there will be a brain drain coming down the road in organizations with all the people leaving if that tacit information is not communicated. NASA said if they had to start the Apollo program again, they'd have to start from scratch. Herb, would you like to, Herb, would you like to add to that? Well, I, I think he's absolutely right. That there's there's a uh, this knowledge cliff uh, is, is is coming, and we've got some uh, some you know baby boomer managers uh, in critical positions, and we've got some millennials looking for their next step. And, and our, our, our focus is to really match them up, get them together, and pass along that knowledge. Uh, but it's 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 got to be push and pull. They, they, as, as Mick said, you know, the, the millennials have to ask the right questions, have to respect, the, you know, what the the other generations have done. Uh, but if you're the senior person, you've got you have you're responsible for mastery. You're responsible for making sure that that person understands 80% of what what you're trying to get across. And if that means understanding their language and speaking that language, then that's what you have to do. Thank you. Dr. Bates, I'm just going to work right down the panel. I, I think this is a powerful question, so let's give everybody a chance to bite at this apple. From your perspective, what's what are we doing wrong? Well, I, I agree completely with what my esteemed colleagues here had to say, but I also think that the bigger challenge um, that it has to be fixed because we'll just continue to have these battles between generations in the workplace um, if we don't think about each generation following on. You're talking about, for example, how how uh, boomers don't reach down and, and millennials don't reach up. But what about millennials reaching down? Because those mid-30 millennials are going to be the next 
generation of senior executives, right? So you're going to continue to have that same problem systemically embedded if we don't take the bigger picture of getting critical uh, reasoning skills embedded in the organizations um, through act, also through training, just the the competency-based training that uh, Dr. Worthington was talking about today and the, in the earlier show, and also um, one of the dynamics economically and demographically that impact this idea of sort of engaging these folks, uh, these millennials, through their own technologies and through badging because they like to feel rewarded about things, right? The the fallacy of that is that the the very the very things that you're trying to appeal to them with are things that invade what they value most, which is their own time. Companies are tend to, particularly even larger companies, tend to push that down to the individual, which the individual, millennials like individualism, but they don't want to be doing this learning on their own time. And that's a problem if that's their perception. Thank you. And I'm going to let Ryan, who is our millennial on the panel, kind of see it from his perspective. The millennial at the end of the table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think we've all agreed, uh, yes, we have access to information all the time, however that is, but uh, it's still extremely valuable that all comes back to the relationships, and I think we are very willing to look up, and I, you know, personally, I, I need that and I want that, so we do want that from the upper, you know, the other generations and higher executives. We want them to also look down because I know I need that in addition to the access of information I have. You know, what I look up at Google isn't going to provide the same mentorship and knowledge that my supervisors will be able to provide. So what I also in return for looking up is I do want them to also feel like they can um, meet me also. And I think the biggest thing we look for is value and just and we're very collaborative and we want to know that we're a part of it and whatever we're doing, that it's a part of that bigger picture. So if we can kind of get that influence from those above us, then I think there's opportunity there for uh, an, ex an extreme amount of uh, work ethic and working very hard. And, you know, that can be whether it's, um, you know, even working after 5 o'clock, not fitting into that specific time frame. I think if you establish that connection and meet them almost in the middle, I guess. We're reaching up and you're reaching down. Um, we're willing to put a lot of work forward. Let's give a round of applause to our panel. We're going to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass live from Brandman University. And when we come back from the break, in addition to other questions from the audience, I'd like to start with a, a discussion around what is it like and what will it be like for boomers to have a millennial as a boss. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. 
When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to Critical Mass Live from Brandman University. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Last month, our sponsors gained valuable exposure through their support of our program. We delivered over 37,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. 
If you'd like to learn more about advertising on Critical Mass radio shows, then contact Rose Chamora. There she is in the back of the room. She's our Vice President of Sales at 951. You don't mind me giving out your phone number, do you? 951-515-4661. 951-515-4661. All right. Well, we have a great panel and an energized audience. We're having an interesting conversation about millennials. And before the break, I said we're going to kind of flip it upside down and take it from the perspective of, one, if you're a millennial and you're managing boomers, what do you have to do to be effective? And, two, if you're a boomer being managed by a millennial, how do you have to uh, adapt and adopt to be successful? And, and we'll just go down the panel. I'd like to start with Mick. Sure. Uh, I, I think if you're, we'll start with a millennial, if you're managing somebody, by the way, that's happening today with all the new companies that are starting. You're seeing this take place today. Uh, so this is not a, uh abstract question that you're asking, Richard. Um, there's going to have to be an incredible openness on the part, I think, of the boomer. If they are not a learner and if they think their experience trumps innovation and new ways of thinking, uh, they're in trouble. If there's somebody that's excited about learning and that this world is in flux, uh, nothing is in cement and things are moving at a very fast pace, it could be an exciting time for them. If not, it could be the most miserable time of their life. For a millennial, on the other side of the street, they need to be respectful. They need to understand that this other person has value. They don't write them off because they're older. But there's a lot that they can teach them in terms of experience if they're open to it. And they need to let that be known. Not I'm your boss type thing, but there's a lot I can learn from you, and I'm really going to be leaning on you to learn in this situation as well. I think there has to be a, a, a two-way street here because a lot of good learning can take place. Again, it's through that relationship. The key is relationships. That's where the learning takes place. Herb, what's your experience at Golden State Foods with this dynamic? Is that in play yet within your business? Do you have millennials that are in management positions and might they be leading a, a, an older workforce? Yeah, I think across the, the country and probably even internationally. Uh, it's a 67-year-old company, so we've, we've got folks that have been with the company 43 years. We've got managers that, that have been with the company two or three years. Uh, Mick's right. It's, it's, it's really about the relationship. I don't think there's any specifically this is what a boomer has to do and specifically this is what uh, the millennial has to do. I, I think if you focus on the relationship and you get some alignment, uh, and we started this uh, last year and we're continuing it this year, we, we focus on uh, credibility and, and, and trust. Uh, here's the 13 behaviors we want all managers to practice. Here's the uh, the four cores of credibility we, that you all must have in order to be trusted. Uh, so if you focus on that, you get some alignment. Whether they're a, a boomer or a millennial, they understand the language. When we say trust and we say integrity and we say humility and congruence and character and intent, they all know exactly what we're talking about and they recognize they recognize the value of it, of having that same language. And if I need them to get something done, I'm going to exercise these behaviors and show these competencies, uh, and that's how I'm going to connect with them. And it goes either side, boomer to millennial or millennial to boomer. And Kathleen, Dr. Bates, what's your perspective on this? Well, um, I take just a slightly different perspective, not con contrary or contradictory, but I do think that some of the structural issues are going to mitigate the effectiveness of just focusing on relationship. Uh, boomers like to focus on relationship. We've uh, probably caused some of the millennial challenges that we deal with ourselves because we've been very big on um, giving a lot of positive 
uh, feedback and, and making people feel good about themselves as opposed to holding them to standards and consequences. And that I'm not saying that that's good, bad, or indifferent. That's just the way the values are shaking out now. So in addition to relationship, which is absolutely critical and probably the most critical success success factor for anyone uh, in a in a business position, we also have to recognize that these millennials may not be coming to the workforce with the specific skills, with the core competencies required. And the relationship is not going to close that gap. In fact, the relationship strained because the expectations that we have of those millennials will not be met and we will get frustrated mentoring someone who just can't make the grade, not because they don't have the capacity, but because they don't have the learned skills. Thank you. And finally, Ryan, what's your perspective on this question? Uh, Going off what Herb said, I I noticed he um, said no matter what age the managers are on, you know, two, three years, or at the company for 45 years, um, they all need to be trained on the same, uh, you know, the same qualities, and they all need that across the board. And I think that's something that I look at and other people my age look at is that we see, rather than necessarily uh, titles, we look at it as, you know, what do you, what do you provide? I don't necessarily, I guess I would say, care what your title is. That The title itself isn't the big deal. Um, and it's more about what you can, how everyone can contribute and, and fitting them in those uh, right positions and making sure the right person is doing the right task that fits with them and also the needs of the company they're in. And then with the expectations that you talked about, I think that's what needs to be addressed straight from the beginning um, as, you know, if it's the boomer generation saying, going to their millennial employee, here's my expectations of you and just openly addressing both expectations. That way you know about it from the beginning and it's much better to know about it at the beginning than down the road when something happens and you get upset. Well, you didn't know that you had that expectation. Round of applause. Thank you. Oh, Mick, you'd like to add something to that? Sure. Just, just one thing. Uh, I agree with what you're saying about threshold competencies. If you don't have the competencies, you can't do the job. But that's just the threshold competency that gets you in the door. The other stuff, the collaboration, the teamwork, and the relationship building is key, again, for this system to work. Threshold competencies, you go to Boeing. Do you think they're going to hire somebody without the threshold competencies? To, I hope they don't. <laughs> Anyhow, so, and it goes with any organization. Thank you. Uh, we'll be taking questions from the audience, too. If you have one, just let me know. We'll make sure we get to the microphone. But I wanted to, I wanted to ask the entire panel, but I wanted to start with uh, Dr. Bates. What impact is do you see from multicultural we have multi-generational, now we're talking about multicultural, within the millennials. Um, is it your experience, and then Mick and, and Herb, and with that, Brian, you can add in as well, but how is that? Is that layering another level of complexity on top of it, or is it a consistent theme regardless of the multicultural aspect of it? What is your feeling on that? Well, in terms of just... Um the way we value generationally diversity, there certainly is a gap. I mean, millennials are much more embracing of diversity, I believe the research shows. Is that correct? That's because they are. Yeah. Themselves. They, oh, because they're extremely exactly, diverse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're in a much more diverse environment. Um, so I, I'm not sure to have, you know, to the extent that that impacts 
um, most large organizations have a fairly diverse workforce, and they usually have diversity programs and stuff for people who are generationally not attuned to that kind of thing. So I'm not sure how that's playing out in the workforce, other than it's going to get easier to deal with those, hopefully, because of that coming up. One in three millennials is Caucasian. Forty percent of millennials in this country, 40 percent of millennials are either African-American, Hispanic, of Asian background, or of mixed ethnicity. And this is something that will blow your mind. Twenty uh, percent of CEOs in California, 20 percent of CEOs in California are immigrants. So we have a very diverse population, and it's enriching. So when Obama was elected president, we went, oh, the first African-American president. The millennials were going, yeah. I mean, why not? You know, I mean, we're, we're kind of, yay, you know. And they're going, well, what's the, because they are diverse themselves. It's a And if you go around the world, I mean, it's it's amazing the diversity that you see around the world. With the The, the largest growing population is this population right here. Does that mean we'll have a higher uh, probability of having a woman for our next president? I'm sure hoping so. <laughs> yeah, I think back to your original question. I, I don't think it adds a layer of complexity. We're a good-sized company. We're, we're something, you know, 52% of the workforce is uh, diverse. Uh, when you're, when you're 4,500 employees around the world, uh, that kind of falls into place. And, and we've continually addressed Diversity. So, so working with millennials, I mean, diversity is always going on in the background. Uh, we've got a diversity council that uh, continually, you know, studies the the the, the demographics of our local uh, SMAs and and, and uh, how we fit in with the local population. Do we match what the local population is doing? Uh, so we have a, a dedicated focus. We have a, a diversity council that uh, looks at it continually, is constantly pushing out information to the managers to bring that uh, level of awareness. But uh, I don't think it adds a layer of complexity because I think we've been, we've, we've been aware and we've been working with diversity and we've always had a focus on diversity. It's interesting because as I listen to your answers, and Ryan, I'm going to give you a chance here to, to address this as well, but I'm almost thinking that some of the things that we had to institute to engage diversity and understand diversity for the older generations is sort of just understood by the millennials. So maybe a lot of the effort that we had to put into managing a diverse workforce and all that stuff, and I'm putting words in your mouth, so I'm interested to see if you agree with me or disagree with me, it to, to you might seem forced or fake because you you accept, your generation tends to accept people on face value rather than what boomers might have done. How do you feel about that, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> Diversity is awesome. I think um, it's an incredible thing. And uh, like we've talked about, it, I don't really necessarily see it as um, a a challenge. Um, as it's more of an opportunity, and all that diversity is what makes it great, is because it brings in a lot of uh, new opportunities and different ideas, which ties back into we're trying to make everything more efficient, and we're trying to innovate and not do what's always been done. So having that diversity and people's backgrounds or cultures. Um, Whatever it is, all of that just provides even more input for making business uh, even better. No, only that the when a millennial goes into a room or a situation and does not see diversity, they think something's wrong. They do. There's, there's a feeling there. I'd like to ask Mick a quick question. 
Um, I thought you said a personal question. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> What's a professor always a professor? Yeah, yeah. This is a pop quiz, Mac. Okay, you got it. Oh, why, okay. why, in your opinion, um, in the workplace especially, the predominance of bullying has grown, and it appears to be among millennials. If they are so uh, much more diverse in their values and embracing of diverse values, it, do you, are you? Do you have any knowledge around this particular? Not dynamic? really. Uh, you would probably have more than me. The the bullying thing. I'm not sure why that would be the case, except that there's a lot more. There's a lot of more ability today to share that information and to make it more aware. Perhaps even more so than uh, not. We were, we had bullies when I was growing up. I got stuffed in trash cans. I stuffed little kids in trash cans. We you know, but nobody <laughs> knew about that stuff. And and even today, people think it's a more dangerous world. It's not. Yeah. It's not a more dangerous right. world. It's just that when there's a train wreck in Dubai, I hear about it. If it didn't happen on my block when I was growing up, I didn't hear about it. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more. And we, there's a safety uh, frenzy with younger people having babies because they think the world is so dangerous. And it is a dangerous world. And we have to be careful because you don't know who's in your kid's bedroom on the Internet that's a voyeur or any other creep. So we have to be careful with all this stuff, but not overemphasize where I, I think in a lot of ways kids are being nicer to one another oftentimes than they used to be. Uh, this is for any of you. In this world of data-driven decision-making, um, do you see a problem with the fact that many of the millennials don't have high quantitative fluency abilities? Okay, one of us should answer well, that question. Well, I do. <laughs> Obviously, I do because in in our our world is getting so much more complex. The the availability of information is trumped by our inability to process it uh, appropriately and perhaps accurately because we're not. While we have that information, we're not improving our uh, kids and our our students' analytical skills, and I, I think, think that's a problem. I think there's a gap. I think there are some, a group that are highly fluent, and then there's a big gap in those that aren't. And so I do think that is an issue and a problem, and uh, that has to be looked into. Thank you for the question. We're going to take our third and final break here on Critical Mass Radio Show live from Brandman University, Final Fridays, of course. And when we come back, I'm going to ask the panel to give us a little sense for Generation X. We sort of have skipped right over them, gone from the boomers to the millennials, and there's still plenty of them in the workforce. And we don't want to forget them, do we? Because we want everybody to feel like they've had their moment in the sun. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast three middle market, and large companies. One. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, 
presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include One. Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show, live from Brandon University, Final Fridays. It's very exciting to be here, and we have about 15 minutes left on the radio show and uh, we're going to be getting back into it. Before the break, we said we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about Generation X, so Gen X. So, uh, Mick, can you, from your perspective, give us a little sense for what they must be going through with all this focus on millennials? Well, they're the ones they, they're the ones that got edged out in, in quite a bit. Uh, for instance, you have 58 million builders. That's a lot. Then the boomers come along, 80 million boomers. Gen X comes along, 38 million. And... Then 80 million millennials. So you have this little generational cohort in the middle. And believe me, size does matter. It does. It absolutely does. In fact, the biggest, that's why boomers coming through is remember the old pig in the python? Look at this demographic. Look how big they are. We set the standards. The larger generation sets the norms, social norms, and even sanctions if you don't follow those norms, whether they're written or not. You set the values. So here comes the Gen Xers along, and they they don't have much of a say. We were closing down schools left and right and selling them off there because we didn't no kids. And then the boomers, the millennials come along, and then we started getting the schools back and building more schools. So here's this little group in there. They what we would call the relationship brokers. They get the boomers. They get the millennials, and they help them play in the sandbox together. But the real issue is between boomers and millennials. The Gen Xers now are in the middle, and they're driven, driven, and they feel now that the millennials should be waiting their turn. It's our turn, and now some of them are surpassing them, and so there's a little bit of a, a little bit stuck in their craw there. So they got shortchanged. The Gen Xers got shortchanged. That's all I'm going to say right there. And thank you. And Herb at Golden State Foods, are you sensitive to the Gen X group? You know, I, I go back to what we talked about before. Uh, alignment. We 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 expect the same out of all management, and, it, and it's based off of your confidence. If if you get the job done, then you're going to get, you know, a shot at that position, a shot at that project. Uh, and we really don't look. You know, it could be a, a you know a boomer that's been with the company for 35 years, and he's got that skill set in our warehouse management system. So you're going to run the project. We've got a, a, a millennial that comes in that uh, that understands the technology of the new system that we're rolling out. Well, you're going to be on that project. So it's really based off of the competencies that they bring to the table. Uh, Dr. Bass, any thoughts on this topic? 
Um, just a couple. Again, from an academic perspective, I think the Xers maybe even lost out more than the boomers have. Uh, the boomers have had some change in education in recent years, at least. The Xers sort of got the short end of the education stick as well. Okay, Ryan, you're a you're a millennial. Do you what is what are your sensibilities about Gen Xers in the workplace? You have your own mic now. You're all grown up. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess I mean really going back to everyone being on the equal, uh, level playing field. I the same thing still applies. Working no matter what the generation is, I'm gonna look up to supervisors and I'm gonna want some education there and I'm going to also want them to look down and help and mentor me and give me value with what I do. So, I mean, I work with all of the generations, whether it's Gen X or Boomers. Thank you. Um, what's the age range for Gen X? Was their birth? 1965 to like 1980s. Right okay, now. without divulging any age, do we have any Gen X in this audience? Okay, we've got a few. Okay, great. And by the way, they were not that close to their parents. They were lock-key, latch-key kids. Where the millennials, if you say, give your top five friends, their parents would probably be in that top five somewhere. Wow. It's a whole different relationship. Okay. Um, any questions from the panel? From the uh, Yeah, hold on a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring I'm curious. Uh, Ryan, uh, are your parents boomers or Gen Xers? Well, they're in <laughs> early 50s, so with that, boomers. Okay. They're kind of right on, I think they're right on the edge. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Anybody else have a question from the audience? Anything else you want to hear from this group? I'd like to step out of the workplace, if I could, and um, millennials are now parents, or becoming parents. Mm -hmm. So what, having studied generational differences, Mick, is it, is it too early to start to figure out what kind of offspring millennials are going to raise? Yeah, it's a great question, Richard. Great question. And I, and I am no prophet. I have no crystal ball. But what we think is that they're going to be much more physically conservative because they were raised during the years when the bailouts and all the rest of it. And be careful what you do. They've been raised in a period of heroism. You had Captain Sully land on the Hudson River, which was just phenomenal. He went down and saved the people. You have Captain Richards of the Somali Pirates and all that. He went down with a ship. He did the right thing. So I think you're going to see something coming back that resembles Brokaw's greatest generation. I think we have some incredibly neat things in store for us down the road. Well, let's give a round of applause for that idea. That's that's pretty good. I like that. All right, we're going to end. The, we have about ten minutes left, and I just would like each of you to think about what's the world, what's the business world going to be like when millennials are actually the captains of industry. And if there's boomers left, we're still around, but they are really the drivers in politics, economics, and as a as a world force, they're in charge. So can you can can you imagine a day in the future when that's the case? And can you give us a sense for what might be a delta off of what we see today? And um, Ryan, I'm going to change it up a little bit because uh, I'd like to start this time with you, and Mick will finish with you. Okay, so okay. please. Uh, well, I'm, I'm probably really biased since I'm the millennial, um, and I, I think it's going to be great um, because I think everything we're talking about with the diversity and being efficient and having really good business and also more fiscally responsible because of the economy that we've grown into, um, I think we'll be very smart about the decisions we make. We'll be inclusive 
And I think that is going to hopefully tie into, you know, raising the next our, the next generation after millennials. Well, as the parent of a millennial, um, and I'm old enough to be his grandmother. Um, I was older when I had him, so it's sort of skipping those generations. But what I what I really am mindful of is that the skills and competencies that the millennials bring to the table and to the marketplace cannot be judged for their future value. We cannot tell what kind of world they will be in or they will build for themselves. And while I get a lot of pressure from my uh, boomer and traditionalist family about the way I raised my son, I have always allowed him to be very individualistic, you know, so maybe part of it is just learning, um, and self-directed because he has a much better idea of the future that he believes is a good future. So my role has been to try to give him that freedom to see a positive, optimistic world that is livable and sustainable. Thank you. Herb, I'd like to ask you specific... Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, give her a Very uplifting thought, so I shouldn't run over it. Thank you. Um, you probably have direct experience with millennials leading parts of Golden State Foods, mm-hmm. and so uh, your vision of the future may be a little bit grounded in practical reality of what you're experiencing today at your firm, but what, how do you see the business world evolving? Well, you know, when you, when you first asked the question, I imagined, well, if we teleported them to the future, you know, and they bring all these skills that they have now, it's, you know, innovation, risk-taking, uh, and which is exciting, but, you know, maybe not so grounded, and it's kind of the, you know, all over the place, right? Uh, so it may not be so good. But uh, what I thought is, you know, there's a, there's a long learning curve that's going to take place between now and when they're in charge, right, when they're, when they're running the show. Uh, but we do have millennials right now, and, and, and I'm, I'm happy to say when I see them in charge that they're 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 leaning on those boomers. They're looking for that, you know, th- that that guidance that comes in the form of, hey, tell me how you did this. What's what? How does this sound? Right. So they're not going in overly confident. They, they've got some confidence, but they're 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 calling on the experts. They're looking to see who's done it well and how can I do it like that. So I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that I think a lot of that's going to take place over the next you know d- decade or so. Uh, so by the time they are in those high-level leadership positions, they're going to be grounded and understand, you know, where to get the expertise from. Thank you. And uh, to bring it home, Mick, if you could give us your sense of what the future holds, not only on the business sense, but they're going to be political leaders as well and influencing all aspects of life. You know, I, I think uh, one of the things that's happening now, and they're going to, we even see more of that, that they're, they will not be confusing work with a location. It's a state that you're in. It's what you do. Uh, boomers, we failed uh, work-life balance. They're not into work-life balance. It's, I call it work-life blend. They don't know where one ends and the other. And that's not a bad thing. They can work at 10 at night. They can work at uh, and play. They, they, the workplace is going to be fun. Why should we take playmaking out of the workplace? Why can't we enjoy it? We know that it's better for well-being and, and increases productivity. So those kinds of things, they don't need more content they need more context they don't need more information they need interpretation so the big picture for them as they begin to discover and ask the whys the big picture of why we do this when we were growing up when we asked why of the sign of rebellion if you asked why you might get pop across the you know what or whatever to them they say why uh, why is this significance and why what's the bigger picture of why this is going on and guess why they do that we taught them to do that 
and they're going to do that in the workplace. Uh, so I think that's it's going to be an exciting time. Things will look different, but it's going to be a quicker, faster, and more productive environment. Wow. This has been a very enlightening and informative panel discussion, and I appreciate the four of you being willing to share a slice of what you feel and know about this this topic. It's been, and hopefully the studio, the, the audience that's here in the classroom at Brandman University has enjoyed your time with our panel. And hopefully those of you that are listening live have uh, found a lot of value from being able to listen to us streaming on octalkradio.net. It almost sounds like we may be, is it Alice in Wonderland who's going to look through the looking glass? You know, you, you, the, the generation that the millennials will raise will be like their grandparents or something. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Well, they called them the Peter Pan generation. That was a derogatory term because they're dreaming. Uh, so we won't use that term with this generation. Okay. But it's very, it, it's... I've always felt encouraged about the millennials. I found I feel even more, especially yeah. with our panelists and also with with the rest of the audience. So I'd like to say uh, thank you for listening to the show. The radio show was broadcast in front of a live audience from the Irvine campus of Brandman University. You betcha. Uh, we host this show on the final Friday of each month, so in May we'll be back here again for the last Friday in May. Check your calendars. Maybe those of you that are listening live or as a podcast want to show up and be a part of the experience. We encourage that. This wouldn't be possible without our advertisers like Brandon University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club of Costa Mesa. Our engineer for today is down at the end of the table there with the headphones on. That's Paul Roberts. Our producer could not be here today because she has a full-time job in addition to being part-time with us is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator who's back east is Kathleen Shepard. Our marketing strategist is Asia Celestino sitting in the back of the room. Yay! We wouldn't have been able to pull this off without our live events coordinator and social media manager, Melissa Padani. Say hi to Melissa. Our VP of sales is Rose Chamora, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, I hope that all of your decisions lead your company in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. This show was live in front of an audience of CEOs and executives from the Southern California business community with your host, Richard Franzi. 